Hi, everybody. I'm Kathy Baker, and I'd love to welcome you to our session three in the series I'm calling The Final Four. These are the final days and weeks of Jesus' life on earth, and we're looking at four women he ministered to in those last days. Uh, the first one was Jesus forgiving the adulterous woman. Last week, we looked at Mary and Martha and their disappointment when Jesus didn't come in time to keep Lazarus alive, but he taught them a wonderful lesson um, in trusting him because Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And today we want to look at Jesus wants our extravagant worship. What ways do you worship Jesus? Just think about that for a second or two. How do you express your love and your worship for Jesus? Well, last week we saw these siblings, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, as Jesus offered comfort to the sisters uh, when they were facing their brother's death. And Jesus said this to them, your brother's sickness will not end in death. I am going to use this situation for God's glory, he said. So he, he's telling them, hold on, wait and see. Well, Jesus delayed his visit to Lazarus for days and Lazarus died. <coughs> When Jesus arrived at the family's home, Lazarus had been in the grave four days. And this is where we got a chance to look at Mary and Martha's reaction. They were disappointed and they chose to move into their weaknesses. You see, Mary did run out to meet Jesus, but I mean, Martha ran out to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed at home. And let's take a look at that to see the differences in their personalities, their responses, and the attitudes of these two sisters. Mary is the melancholy introvert, and she stayed home, and it looks as if she became passive. She was weary, and perhaps she was even giving into self-pity self and wallowing and ruminating. Martha the choleric extrovert ran out to see Jesus only to blame him with if only. And she seemed to show her anger and her disappointment with Jesus. Well, those are the sisters and we're going to take a look again today at Mary. Our passage today is the last time the Bible mentions Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now this same story is told in Matthew and Luke, but the names aren't mentioned. This family was very special to Jesus. He stayed in their home, and it was called Martha's house. They dearly loved him. It seems that none of them were married, but maybe Martha had been married, and perhaps she was widowed, and that's how she got this house where all the family lived and where Jesus stayed from time to time. So let's take a look at Mary's extravagant act of love and worship and how others respond to that. <clears throat> so take a look at with, with me at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. It's titled, Jesus is Anointed at Bethany. So beginning with verse 1, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Mary served I'm sorry, Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. 
<laughs> she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The hair, house was filled with the fragrance. Moving to verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Well, in this scene of generous hospitality and intimate fellowship, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have gathered rejoicing in Lazarus' return to life. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus, and imagine what joy must have been present. And then Martha, the ever active one, the servant, is serving food. And see, she needs to be busy, and she loves to show her generous hospitality. Well, while the men are reclining at the table, Mary, the one who at another time, remember, had sat at Jesus' feet listening to him teach, anoints Jesus' feet in an extravagant act of devotion. The scripture tells us she took about a pint of pure nard. <coughs> That's a very expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and then she wiped it with her hair, and then that fragrance of that perfume filled the home. Nard comes from what's called a spike nard plant, and it's native to the eastern Himalayas. These roots are crushed, and they are distilled into an intensely aromatic amber-colored essential oil, and that was a favorite perfume uh, at the time. Well, the best spikenard was imported from the Far East, maybe from India, and perfumes like this were, were kept in very special vases or jars, and they were alabaster, and these were often imported from Egypt. Now, they were made into these beautiful handleless perfume flasks, and the necks were very long and thin. So the, this perfume was really expensive, and I, I hope you can see because there was a, a tedious extraction process. And then this cost of importing it added an additional uh, amount of money to it. And then it had to go through these very extensive caravan routes that led from the west into the Mediterranean. So Judas calculates, that, as the treasurer, its value as 300 denarii. Now that would have been the wage, uh, at the wage of about a denarius a day. So that at three hundred denarii is like a year's wages, very expensive. Today it might be worth three hundred thousand to fifty thousand dollars. Well, so that is already something that we are giving pause to, right? Like this very expensive perfume she's using. Well, John also adds another detail that made this event very intimate, and indeed, it would have been shocking. You see, respectable women did not go out in public with their hair down. That was the mark of a loose woman. But Mary had let her hair down and was drying excess perfume on Jesus' feet with her hair. So 
both of those would have been shocking at the time. And, and it would have been really unusual. She was doing something daring and extravagant as she was showing her appreciation and her love for Jesus. What we see here with Mary was wholehearted adoration of her Savior. Mary is all in for Jesus. Now imagine the atmosphere in that home when they're watching this, and it would have been shocking to some, disturbing to some. Some might have been in admiration, but <clears throat> the house was full of this fragrance, overpowering probably the room. Uh, so as Mary broke the seal of the alabaster flask and poured it over Jesus' feet, it was a beautiful aroma. Now, <clears throat> I couldn't help but notice the theme of smells for the scenes with the siblings. Remember in the last lesson, uh, just a few days before uh, this, Jesus, Mary, and Martha were confronted by the smell, the stench of Lazarus' decaying body. Remember, we were told it stinketh. And now with Lazarus, they are basking in this aroma of a very luxurious perfume. Well, as beautiful an act of worship as that might have been, uh, one of the disciples, Judas, uh, was objecting. And he asked the question, what? Why wasn't this perfume just sold and this money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, at first, that sounds like a reasonable response, doesn't it? Does it sound like something you or I might say? But John goes on to tell us some more information. He's giving us the backstory. Judas did not say this, that, oh, that should have been given to the poor because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. You know, he was the keeper of the money bag, and he, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know, some people um, even now feel they have to exalt themselves by putting somebody else down, and that's what Judas was doing. He objects to the extreme extravagance of Mary's gesture. And you know, we might do that too. How would you react if someone gave a $50,000 gift to your church and it would just disappear into the atmosphere in a few minutes? Would anybody object? Does it give you pause for a minute? Would you might want to reach for that jar and say, oh, wait a minute, think about this. You know, I admit I might have done that, but I would have misunderstood Mary's act of worship. You know, Judas did not understand it, but Judas had a heart problem. John, who knew Judas well, tells us two facts about him to help us understand. He says, first of all, he's treasurer for the ministry of Jesus, so he kept the money box. And then he says he makes a practice to steal from the fund. Now, we call that embezzlement. He reveals a serious character flaw. His character flaw is greed. And so that gives us um, the motive that helps explain why he might betray Jesus to the chief peace, priest for 30 pieces of silver. Well, so Judas had a problem with Mary's worship, 
And we might be bothered a bit by the extravagance of it also. Let's look at the things that might have bothered us about that scene. First of all, the cost. $50,000 seems like a great deal, doesn't it? But, you know, that's, uh, think of a rich person with, let's say, $10 million. $50,000 isn't so valuable. But Mary wasn't wealthy. She must have saved for a very long time to buy that perfume. So, you know, we look at it and think, oh, that's a little bit troublesome. Uh, All right, so that's the first thing that might bother us, the cost. Well, let's look at the second, love, and the way she showed it. We don't love Jesus with the intensity that Mary did. Our love is often more abstract. We cannot even relate to this kind of expensive love when we see nothing come of it. Let's just be real. There was no orphanage built as a result of this. There was no food for the poor. Uh, There was no building that was built. No, see, we might also be critical of Mary's show of love. We might be very uncomfortable with the display of love that she showed. You know, that that would be very troublesome for us, I think, as well. Uh, Being, pulling her hair down and, oh, her extravagant gesture of love with wiping her hair with his feet. We don't understand that expression of love. Well, that goes into the worship. Mary was worshiping Jesus, and we just can't relate to that. Often, our worship isn't really active like that. Our public worship might look a bit more formal. We don't often show our worship through waving our glory hands or shouting amen or dancing and swaying to praise music, do we? We might have been uncomfortable with the way she used her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. We might even have hidden our eyes and said, what has gotten into Mary? (laughs) Oh, let's just be real about that. Um, It might have given us trouble. What would be your reaction to Mary's display of worship? Well, whatever it was, um, Jesus loved it. He defends Mary's acts of worship and comes to her defense. Verse 7 tells us, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, look at those first three words, leave her alone. Jesus understood her motive and her heart. He welcomed her act of love. It's difficult to know exactly what Jesus meant by the rest of his comment, uh, but he probably means that Mary had saved her money to buy the perfume for Jesus in anticipation of his death and his burial that she acknowledged acknowledging in that that she believed when Jesus said he was not going to be there very long, very much longer. And so that's a recognition. Uh, He acknowledges what, what could have been used for, it could have been used for the poor, but she chose to use it as a show of her love for Jesus in this beautiful act of worship. Well, Jesus is not opposed to giving money for the poor. And he says there will always be um, this uh, poor, the poor with us. 
But this is a special occasion, he says. And he knows if Mary didn't do this now, that opportunity was going to be lost forever. So Jesus approved of what she did. And see, Jesus knows he's about to die. He says to them, but you will not always have me. Now, here we see Mary has this knowing sense about her. She realizes that Jesus has been saying, what he's been saying is about to come true. She is acting on what she knows. She believes it. See, remember others like the disciples don't really understand what Jesus means when he says, oh, but you will not always have me. He has giving, been giving them clues, warnings for a long time, uh, but they haven't paid attention. So uh, she has. She evidently realizes this. His, his sacrifice is going to happen in just a few days. What I love to see here is that Mary is showing her own sacrifice. She is dying to herself. See, the truth is that Mary could have used that money to support the family or to support the poor, but she didn't. She died to self with that show of love. Her act was extravagant. She spent a lot of money on this type of worship, but what might be an extravagant type of worship for you? What would be extravagant? What would, how would it look in your life? How would a lavish act of worship look for you? Would you just abandon the, the proper protocol of worship? Would you sing loudly and with passion? Would you wave your arms in public? or in private, maybe. We all have ways to express our worship. Mary inspires us to do the unexpected. I love that. Um, It gives us something to think about, doesn't it, in how we show our worship. We see Mary's extravagant um, worship here. The, The next day, this is what is the contrast. So after this scene, the next day, Jesus rides on the donkey into Jerusalem, and it won't be very long until Judas, this critic of extravagant worship, sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, less than half the amount of money Mary paid for the perfume. Wow, what the irony is. Mary's worship tells us a lot about her. And so does Judas' actions. See, there's a contrast between Judas and Mary. Mary is generous. Judas is greedy. Mary is humble. And Judas is arrogant. Mary is selfless. And Judas is self-centered. Judas stands aloof and proud. And Mary kneels in humble adoration. What a stark contrast between the two. You know, Mary has come a long way from the few days earlier when she stayed inside instead of running to meet Jesus. She has now come out of her despair. Remember, she thought Jesus, that Lazarus was lost forever, forever dead. But Mary did a course correction. She examined her heart and she moved toward Jesus. She no longer blamed him or held a grudge against him. I can't help but think Mary chose to express extravagant love toward Jesus before his death so that he could experience it instead of waiting until he died. Remember, Mary, listening to Jesus as he taught in their home, 
And remember how she, she sat passively at his feet while Martha busied herself in cooking and serving? Well, she's very active in her response to Jesus now. We see the change and growth of her relationship with her Savior. She met the Lord, and she trusted him, and she loved him, and she showed hospitality to him. And then, it wasn't long after, she was tested. She was tested when she knew Lazarus was about to die, and she gave way to despair. She goes from sitting at his feet to staying at home in despair because she thought he failed her. She thought he allowed her brother to die forever. Oh my goodness, she didn't trust Jesus. Well, she thought then, uh, and she thought he was going to die, and then Jesus resurrected him. She got back on her path of faith, and she left the comfort of her bed to run to meet Jesus. And then he, he raised Lazarus. And now she is, is expressing a transformation in this extravagant worship. Do you see the ups and downs of her faith journey? Her journey is much like ours. She is uh, going along faithfully and then something happens and it changes her trajectory. And that's much like ours. We too have our ups and downs. But the, in the end, we want to return to our walk of faith as we trust and obey and as we love and worship the Savior. We want to end well. Well, Judas did not have the same kind of journey of faith. Judas started strong, didn't he? He spent three years walking side by side with Jesus. Jesus picked him. He selected him. You know, he learned from him. He served uh, with right alongside Jesus. He served other people. He was even named treasurer of the group of disciples. He had the best teacher and best role model the world has ever known. But over time, distance grew in his heart between himself and the other disciples and Jesus. He realized that Jesus was not going to save them from Rome. He began to think that Jesus was a different kind of Savior than he thought, and he began to veer off the path. The story he told himself began to change. He became dissatisfied, but it seems he kept that to himself. Oh, he went into his own cave of disappointment and despair, didn't he? He gave way to temptation. Oh, he gave way to uh, what was the, he didn't get stay on that narrow path. He veered off of it. So now Judas then betrays Jesus because Satan was influencing him. him. He, he became greedy. He, he kept his mind off of the prize of Jesus. And he became uh, dis. dis uh, disappointed that Jesus was not going to fulfill his political views. He didn't return to the path of faith as Mary did. See, he, instead of having an extravagant worship and an extravagant love, Jews, Judas completed an act of betrayal. Now, we have just looked at the faith journey of these two, Mary and Judas. And we've seen the ups and downs. We see where they started. We see the dip. We see when they came back on to the journey. 
And then we see how they ended in the few days, the snapshot that we were able to see. Let's go back and do that with the characters we've talked about this week and last week. Remember we talked about Thomas, Doubting Thomas. Thomas uh, started also as a faithful disciple. He was chosen by Jesus. And then Thomas hears that Jesus is wanting to return to Judea, and he wants to go back and to see Lazarus. Well, what happens to him? He has this dip. He veers off the the path of faithfulness, and he begins to have doubt and fear. He has sarcasm. And then they return uh, to Judea, and he sees the miracle of raising Lazarus, and he is back once again as the faithful disciple. So there's just a snapshot in that episode. And then uh, we looked at Mary last week and this week. So we have seen Mary uh, as a faithful follower of Jesus. She uh, was a wonderful listener. She sat at Jesus' feet and showed him love and worship. Although we might say it is a more passive worship at that time. Uh, And then there is this change, this change in her trajectory when Jesus does not rush quickly to save Lazarus, and Lazarus died. And so how she reacted was through disappointment, despair, anxiety that led her to the bed. It led her to feel defeated. Well, and then Jesus Jesus did the miracle. And Mary saw what Jesus had done, and once again, she became the faithful follower, and she did this beautiful, extravagant love and worship for Jesus. So you see the ebb and flow of that snapshot. Let's look at Martha from last week. Martha is also a faithful follower. I mean, they're just best friends with Jesus. She definitely had a servant heart. She loved being active in the ministry of Jesus, and then Jesus disappointed her. Um, He, when he let Mary uh, sit at his feet and worship and did not uh, get up to help Martha. She became demanding and she became bossy. And then we have her back on the path. And she was once again the faithful follower of Jesus. She did a course correction. And then we have the episode with Lazarus and she's disappointed that Jesus didn't get there in time and she runs out and blames him, if only. So she becomes bossy, she blames, and she's filled with anger. And then Jesus does the miracle, and she makes a course correction and becomes a faithful follower once again. The ebb and flow is so apparent in hers. And then with Judas. Judas uh, was a chosen one. He was a faithful disciple. And then over time, he began to see that this was not going the way he had thought And then he allowed his thoughts to change. He changed the way he thought about Jesus and the way he saw Jesus. And he let disappointment get a hold of him. And those were filling his thoughts. And so when they filled his thoughts, he opened himself up for Satan to come and to to, uh, encourage him to do the things that would make Judas feel better, and that was to have a little more cash, a little bit more money, and so he became greedy. Uh, He was living with unmet expectations, and then he 
listened to the wrong one, and he became a traitor. So do you see that all their journeys are very similar to ours? We go in and out of our complete faith in Jesus. Uh, We react instead of respond. Uh, Each time these characters changed their directory, it was because they did not trust God in all of their circumstances. They had been moving forward in their faith journey, and then an incident, a conflict, a disappointment occurred as a test of faith. All circumstances in our lives are tests of faith. They offer us opportunities to trust God, to extend a kindness, and to show grace and mercy. And our choice whether we extend these and uh, choose well, reveal whether or not we're living in righteousness. And that means by right living. And so it means that when the situations occur, the circumstances occur, then do we or do we not do the next right thing? Look back at each of the characters. Did they each do the next right thing? thing when they were faced with hard things, disappointing things. You know, our responses reveal our character, our values. They show who we are and who we serve. By looking at our response to our circumstances, we can tell the direction we are going. Either we're going toward Christ or away from him. They reflect whether we are showing love and worship of Christ or a betrayal of our faith and God's expectations for us. I want to do what I'm calling some think time. So as you're listening to this, after I ask these questions, if you'll just hit pause and then um, answer these questions and then come back to the podcast. So I'd like for you to examine your own journey. What have been the circumstances of your life that gave you an opportunity to trust God? What were these circumstances? And what was your response? Did you have a righteous response? In other words, did you respond through right living? Did you do the next right thing? So think about that. And then the next part of this is, What are course corrections you need to make so that your trajectory is one of right living more often than not? Think about those. We serve the same Lord and Savior that Mary, Martha, Thomas, and Judas served. We have similar similar journeys. We have expectations. We get disappointed sometimes, and we might be tempted to despair or anger or blame. We might spend some time ourselves in a pit of sorrow. We might even be tempted to step away from our faith. But will we do a course correction? All of our characters but one did a course correction. So how deep is your love? Mary's love was deep and extravagant. When we express a deep love for Jesus, we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That means we hunger to do the right thing. We hunger and thirst for right living. 
We hunger and thirst to do the next right thing. So when we say we love God, what do we really mean? Saying we love him must be followed by something. It's a love demonstrated through attitudes and actions. Our love shows up in what we say and feel and think and do. Well, our call to action from this lesson is to show an extravagant love for God daily. Showing love for him through love for others, even when we are disappointed or criticized through our circumstances of daily living. Showing extravagant love to God, even when we think God is not listening or giving us the answer we want. We are either all in or not. Mary was all in. What we should see in our faith chart will be plenty of circumstances and plenty of right choices. That's what we want to see. See, that would be an indicator of a deep abiding love exhibited in our daily life. Our love is a result of our faith. The Apostle Paul wrote, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love to God and to others. Will we love God with our whole heart? Will we show lavish, extravagant worship of God? Will we overflow with love to him and to others? Will we do the beautiful thing that Jesus describes? When we do and others criticize us, Jesus will say what he did for Mary. Leave her alone. She's mine. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us an extravagant love by sending your one and only Son to live on this earth and to die to save us from our sins. And then you resurrected him uh, so that we could all have new life in him. Help us, Father, to show our extravagant love for him daily by uh, loving him and loving others in the ways you would have us to do. Help us to be mindful of always doing the next right thing. Amen.